happy Monday, everybody, and welcome back to my podcast, Grab It Quick News. This is season four, and as always, big thanks to everybody who's listening and a huge shout out to my friends who are writing me. It's the second day of a new lovely month, November, a month to give thanks and be thankful. I hope we all had a safe and positive Halloween, however it was spent. Tomorrow is America's most anticipated election. The polls look good, but we can't stop until the buzzer sounds. So that means call your family and friends who can vote and those who can't are already have. Now is the time to do so. Last minute phone begging is a great way to make sure that you are getting the change that you are seeking. All right, let's get started. A gentle reminder, if you are not 18 or older, you should not be listening to this without your parents' consent. Forty-fourth President of the USA Barack Obama has this to say about Donald Trump Sr. at a campaign rally for his friend and former Vice President Joe Biden. Right now, as we speak, Trump won't even extend relief to the millions of families who are having trouble paying the rent or putting food on the table because of this pandemic. But he's been doing all right by himself. As it turns out, this was just reported in the last 48 hours. We know that he continues to do business with China because he's got a secret Chinese bank account. How is that possible? How is that possible? A secret Chinese bank account. Listen, could you imagine if I had a secret Chinese bank account when I was running for re-election? You think Fox News might have been a little concerned about that? They would have called me Beijing Barry. It is not a great idea to have a president who owes a bunch of money to people overseas. That's not a good idea. I mean, of the taxes Donald Trump pays, he may be sending more to foreign governments than he pays in the United States. His first year in the White House, he only paid $750 in federal income taxes. Listen, my first job was at a Baskin Robbins when I was 15 years old. I think I might have paid more taxes that year working at a dispensing ice cream.
people are still having sex, so why are STD rates dropping? Public health officials believe many cases are going undetected as clinics have been closed during the pandemic, testing supplies are diverted to coronavirus screening. This article was written October 28th of 2020. This would be the first time in years where rates of chlamydia, gonorrhea, and syphilis, which had been on track in 2020 to hit record highs in the U.S., have not taken an abrupt downturn. This should be good news. The coronavirus pandemic has certainly kept more people away from bars, nightclubs, and large parties, reducing opportunities for unsafe sex, studies show. But the drop is more likely a harbinger of bad news, experts in reproductive and sexual health believe. They say the pandemic has seriously hindered efforts to mitigate STDs. That can lead to pelvic inflammation disease, chronic pain, infertility, and even blindness and death in some newborns. Rather than showing sexually transmitted diseases are on the run, the upbeat numbers likely signal instead that they are now going largely undetected. In communities across the country, contact tracers for gonorrhea and syphilis, which have already been severely understaffed, have been diverted to COVID cases. 80% of sexual health screening clinics report having to reduce hours or shut down altogether sometime during this pandemic, according to the survey of the National Coalition of STD Directors. In New York City, only one of eight of those facilities is open this spring. Now just three are open, which are steadily busy because they are more of a safety net service than ever says Dr. Julia Schillinger, an assistant commissioner at the New York City Health Department. Doctors also believe that many patients who might otherwise seek treatment for STD symptoms have been avoiding clinics to avoid the exposure of COVID. And in some reasons, essential supplies to test for STDs are running low because manufacturers of swabs, tubes, and regions are redirecting their products for use in coronavirus testing. As a result, there is a growing shortage of tests for these STDs. Our most effective tool for control is timely diagnosis and treatment. We're very concerned that we'll have continued unchecked and sustained increases now if people cannot access screenings, said Gail Blown, the director of the Division of STD Prevention at the CDC. In short, desperate efforts to contain one pandemic could well inflame the spread of another. The CDC preliminary 2019 figures, the sixth consecutive record year, indicate that 1.76 million cases of chlamydia and 602,000 cases of gonorrhea, cases of newborn syphilis alone, have increased 22% in 2018. Alarmed officials at the CDC issued alerts throughout the summer to clinicians nationwide. In its latest letter last month, the agency recommended that priorities for screening and testing should go to patients with symptoms women who are under 25 are pregnant, and people at high risk for STDs, including those with HIV. Patients with chlamydia or gonorrhea are often asymptomatic, only testing, then detects infection. But until the pandemic-related restrictions can be relaxed, the letter advised, routine screening visits should be deferred. Most women with gonorrhea show no symptoms, but with routine screening cut back during the pandemic, many cases are not being detected. In the greater St. Louis area, only about 11 of 128 testing sites are fully open this spring and summer. And in one healthcare system, testing dropped by 45%. Although many sites have begun to reopen during one recent week, the St. Louis County Sexual Health Clinic had no urine test kits for gonorrhea and chlamydia, according to Dr. Hillary Reno, its medical director. Area hospitals had 
been on the hunt as well. One reason that public health officials believe that the drop reflects test shortages and limited clinical access rather than less sexual activity is that the rates of decrease are more pronounced in gonorrhea and chlamydia, for which the test supplies have been affected, rather than in syphilis and HIV, which are detected through blood tests. Dr. Bolin is also troubled by the breakdown in the reporting of the cases. It's not just data for the purpose of collecting it, she says. Surveillance is the backbone of public health. It's how we allocate our resources. Without timely and accurate data, we feel like we have blindfolds on while trying to figure out where our hot spots are. Doctors and nurses who worked in clinics that serve mostly poor and minority patients say that the burden of the extreme service cutbacks and lack of testing falls most heavily on them. Those who work with teenagers said that many clinics that distribute Free condoms have closed. Dr. Joy Friedman directs adolescent medical services at the Einstein Medical Center in a low-income neighborhood in Philly. Teenagers tell her how difficult it is to discuss condom use with their partners. Regular testing is the one way that they could protect themselves, and now she says they need to know that testing will not be available. Despite considerable efforts to reduce STDs, reported cases at the beginning of 2020 were higher than those the same period in 2019 according to the CDC, but by early March, as the nation began complying with stay-at-home orders, those levels plummeted in early April. Weekly reports of chlamydia were 53% below 2019 numbers, with both gonorrhea and syphilis down 33%. Gonorrhea had been expected to hit an April monthly total of 54,127, but only 26,771 cases were reported. As of mid-June, chlamydia numbers remained depressed, but reporting of gonorrhea and syphilis had returned to expected rates. Given the limitations on testing and clinic closures, however, cases may well be higher. If sexual behavior rebounds while service interruption persists, we project an excess of hundreds of HIV cases and thousands of STI and STD cases, researchers from Emory, Harvard, and the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill wrote in a preprint study of sexual practices Atlanta men who had sex with men during the pandemic. Social scientists are exploring how the coronavirus outbreak has affected sexual behavior. Justin Lay Miller, a social psychologist in the Kinsey Institute, which has been issuing surveys during the pandemic to about 2,000 people, gay, straight, bisexual, said that even those in continuing relationships reported having less sex in the first months. Higher levels of stress, anxiety, or pushing down desires. Singles have more challenges to hooking up, but when doctors and nurse practitioners who work with teenagers were asked if the pandemic had slowed them down, they replied that, anecdotally speaking, not all were and they were not slowing down. Dr. Boland said that one New York pediatrician reported that she had treated quite a few teenagers for STDs. Caitlin Renfro, a CDC researcher, noticed that in a various study, a range of 39 to 76% of participants reported a decrease in sexual partners during a quarantine, but a University of Michigan survey of 696 gay and bisexual men found that only a third found it important to decrease the number of their partners during this pandemic. Even if sex has declined, researchers question how long it will remain suppressed. Dr. Miller noted that online dating apps report record business, whether that translate into sex 
actual activity rather than virtual meetups is unclear. If people are returning to normal levels of encounters, they may not want to admit it. There's shame about traveling, social events, and gatherings during the pandemic, so sex and dating is seen as a part of that. For now, triage at clinics is pervasive. Pre-pandemic, the San Francisco City Clinic would typically send more than 100 specimens to be processed daily at the health department. Because those supplies have dwindled, the clinic is now resorting to a smaller, more expensive backup system that can only process several dozen gonorrhea and chlamydia tests a day, says Dr. Ina Park, an associate professor of community and family medicine at the University of California, San Francisco School of Medicine. Men who took PrEP to prevent HIV transmission should be screened for STDs every three months. But many of these clinics have spaced out those screenings to every six months. A Michigan colleague who ran out of urine testing kits for chlamydia and gonorrhea said she was returning to techniques that had been replaced almost 20 years ago using older swabs that have to be placed a few centimeters inside the urethra of the penis and twirled around to obtain a specimen. It's highly unpleasant for the patient and it doesn't encourage them to return for testing. I'm concerned that this will worsen the mistrust in the medical establishment, which is already an issue with some of the patients we serve. Added Dr. Park, the author of Strange Bedfellows, a book that will be out in February about the science of sexually transmitted diseases. David C. Harvey, executive director of the National Coalition of STD Directors, said clinics are trying to come up with creative solutions such as telemedicine visits in a few districts where the biggest challenge is reduced clinical access. Administrators are trying out test kits that allow patients to collect specimens at home, which they then mail to the labs, and some clinics are working with pharmacies that can draw blood and have standing orders from some medication. Public health officials see these innovations as a silver lining that may continue after the pandemic is gone. But for Dr. Friedman in Philly, the current situation presents a social justice issue as well as a medical one. Her young, predominantly black and Latino patients have higher rates of STDs because many do not have access to healthcare, and there is pervasive fear and distrust of doctors and medical institutions, which the inability to test for STDs is exacerbating. No one says we should curtail testing for COVID, Dr. Freeman says, and I don't understand why it has to be one or the other. It should be both. All right, so now we have reached the second half of my podcast, which is Letters to Jessica. I'm going to start with our first letter. It reads, Dear Jessica, can you explain what a fetishist is? I'm a white male who prefers to date black women. My ex-girlfriend left me a few months ago, and she said one of the reasons was because she felt like I was a racist and a fetishist. Whoa. (laughs) Well, sir... Sounds like you guys ended on bad terms. Um, I'm sorry to hear that. I always apologize when I feel like there's a relationship that is, you know, ended on bad terms. Okay, so what is a fetishist? All right, so in the adult industry, all of those categories that you see when you go into an adult site, and I'm sure you're not doing it and there are other people who are, (laughs) but... Um, It'll say ebony, anal, big tits. That's a fetish. And what happens is people um, only want to see that particular category. And um, how I explain it with white men is, is why do you date black women? 
If you date black women simply because they are black women, then you may be a fetishist. If you only want to take her to African-American things and she wants to go to a ballet or she wants to go to an opera or she wants to go to Beijing, but you want to go to like Joe's Crab Shack and I want to eat some chitlins and hog moggles. Like if you're, you could be considered a fetishist. Um, then another thing with a fetishist also, when you talk to someone and you're into them, are you into them or are you into their skin color? Because I've dated a couple of white guys and y'all know me. I, you know, don't discriminate, but I've, ha- I've dated some fetishists and it feels very uncomfortable because they say things like, I love your beautiful black skin. Let's go see your mama. See what I'm saying? Like, they just turn that little switch on, but everything they love about you is in direct correlation to your skin color. They like that your nose is big. They want your hair nappy because you're a black girl. And I say this to tell you, you may, you may well very be a fetishist. And is that a bad thing? It is when you are looking for a soulmate. Because you're not really looking at that person's soul. You're looking at that person's attributes that get your dick hard. Yeah. So if you've said any of those things, I like your black skin, your smooth brown sugar. You've said any of that, the blacker the berry, the sweeter the juicer. You were a fetishist and you were borderline pulling some racist stuff. Now, when we say racist, a lot of people don't realize that for the most part everybody's a little racist um if you have a problem with her being around black people you need to check that out because I'm not gonna say that's racist I would say that's borderline racist and it's also a white guy insecurity thing that happens when they date a pretty black woman a lot of white men automatically go to I'm gonna have to compete against a black man but the truth of the matter is why are you even competing if you're with that person Uh uh-huh so that can be a little racist you don't want her to hang out with her black friends without you and Jerome can't hang out with her because she he's a black man and you're intimidated by his blackness that's racism that's that's very much racist so just remember that stuff and guess what I'm not a therapist but you may want to talk to one you may want to actually think about the reason that you like black women why you are a fetishist why you are low-key racist and you can work that stuff out because I'm going to be honest I don't think that you I don't know you well enough to say that you're a racist or a fetishist but I do want to make sure that I'm informing you to the best of my ability about what a racist and a fetishist is when it comes to dating and interracial relationships and I think one of the biggest things that people are finding now in 2020 is that yes you can be a fetishist and like black women. Yes, you can be a racist and like black women. Yeah, it's true. So you may just want to look into that, okay? Thank you so much for the letter. Our second letter comes from a female in North Carolina. She writes, Dear Jessica, 
my boyfriend wants us to start an OnlyFans page. I am really nervous. Do you have any advice, business or pleasure-wise? Ooh, sounds like somebody's about to have some fun, y'all. Um, well, first off, congratulations on you and your boyfriend's sex worker journey. Um, I would say my advice, business-wise, is to make sure that you guys have a contract, like a 2257 compliance contract, or you guys have a content contract. And I know a lot of people are like, well, they're together. Yeah, they are together, but this is also them going into a business venture. So let's say you guys shoot all of this content and it does really well, like really fucking well, and then you guys break up. Then it's, well, can I get my content? Well, can I get... And if you have a contract, you have a 2257 compliance contract and you have a content, you know, trade contract, there is no argument, right? There's no argument because he signed a contract, you signed a contract, you're equally, you eat both equally own it and you can use the con- the contract for whatever. Also, if that is not your bag, you're just doing this for him and then you guys break up and you do not want these films no longer in circulation you want to put a you want to get a cease and desist contract which you can do and you can say this contract goes into effect after our breakup and it is and this is the thing guys those contracts are admissible in court yeah so that's what I say business I always tell people sign your own checks know your photographer and your videographer and get a contract always keep business business and professional professional and I know you can say well Jessica what if he don't want to sign the contract then he obviously didn't want to do an OnlyFans with you that was just some shit he was talking because the truth of the matter is he will realize just like you that a contract is one of the best things that you guys can do just for the sanity of your relationship that those contracts can just silence a lot of the anxiety that you may feel about that because folks revenge porn is real I'm mad at you so I'm gonna blast your shit yeah okay blast my shit but if you have a contract you can contact whoever who whatever site that he put it up on and because you have a contract they can take it down yeah so that's really what this is this is about you guys venturing into a business and unfortunately this business is not a normal business it's sex work so with sex work it's all about branding yourself making sure that you take the foundational stones that you need in order to have a really nice launching pad and that's one of them especially with couples I always tell couples do contracts and and always list your do's and your don'ts right if you're not into anal don't do it And if you do do it, you better charge an arm and a leg, you know what I'm saying, on your OnlyFans. But for the most part, I would say that this is going to be a really fun journey for you and for him. Because what a lot of people don't understand when they begin the sex work journey is they just think, oh, we're just going to set up a camera and we're going to be fucking y'all. Get your fuck on, get your fuck on. And then you get the camera and then you get the stuff and you're like, holy shit, the camera went off. Now we got to stop fucking and I got to touch the camera. Oh my God, now my hands are too greasy because you put too much oil on your ass. Oh, we got to stop. Oh, I can't hold the camera. My hands are, you know what I mean? it gets like a real job (laughs) it's fun but you start realizing that this is work and then you start taking pride in your work and then the next thing you know you guys have a really nice side hustle so business wise contracts contracts and discussions and then pleasure wise just have fun find a niche that works for you guys and just 
have fun because the camera will show you if you're sad, if you're happy, if you're into the dick, and if you're not. So thanks so much for the letter. Good luck, you guys. Our last and final letter is from a female in Washington State. She writes, Dear Jessica, is there anything wrong with me waiting to have sex until I'm engaged? All of my friends keep telling me to do it, but I want to wait for the right one. I see how they are treated after they give it up. Do you have any advice? Well, I think it's your choice. Virginity... Not having your virginity, it's all about what you're comfortable with and your comfort level. And I think maybe you have got some cool friends, because I don't like to call wild girls wild, because they don't seem wild. They seem like they're just, you know, girls who like to have sex, who are, you know, sexually active, healthy, sexually responsible. And when you have friends like that sometimes you see some real shit and like you just said you've seen them probably fawn over this guy that they've liked forever and did the did what they needed to do to get him and then they give up the puss and then he's gone and that does happen but I also want to remind you when you're sexually responsible and you find someone who is just as sexually responsible and they really dig you no matter what they're not going to leave You know, guys can kind of give you a cue as to them staying with you or you just being a fuck buddy. And sometimes as women, we ignore those cues because we really like that guy. You know what I mean? I really like him. Maybe if he, you know, he'll change his mind about me once he gets to know me. And then sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes it was like, I got to know you and the pussy was what I wanted. Bye. I get it. But I think in this instance, I don't want you to look at your virginity is something to give or to take because that's not what virginity is. Virginity is just a body, a bodily function. It's just something that is inside of your vagina that um, is keeping it safe. You know what I mean? There's a hymen in there and it will break. And sometimes your hymen can break when you're when you have toy insertion. So don't get so caught up on I don't want to have sex until I'm married because sometimes people get married and then they don't like the sex. So make sure that when you really want to have sex, that it doesn't necessarily have to be to someone that you're engaged to, but make sure that it's someone that number one, you like, they like you, and that you're comfortable with enough to allow yourself to experience that sexual freedom for the first time because that's a really big thing I really want virgins to understand that you know religion has kind of fucked up that word for everybody I'm a virgin and then when you say that people either want to sacrifice you or or just leave you because you sound like you have the plague right it's like oh she's a virgin run ah it's a killer lady but the truth is There's nothing wrong with being a virgin. There's nothing wrong with not being a virgin. I think the number one thing is, are you responsible enough to want to take that on? Because once you start having sex, that means that you have to do your um, 
responsibility, which is getting tested for STDs before and after sex. And then every six months, you want to get checked um, gynecologically as far as your cervix, cancers, that kind of stuff. Uh, Maybe you want to take, you know, your hep V vaccines. Like with sex comes sexual responsibility. So just remember that, that it's not just about someone taking it or you giving it. It's about you being grown up and woman enough to start that part of your life. I hope I answered your question. Thank you so much for writing me. Good luck. Well, that's all the time we have. I need your support, Team Grabbit. If you value the free and paid content that I've delivered over the years, please consider subscribing to my accounts or my official website, jessicagrabbit.com today. If you're already a subscriber, now's a great time to use the tip me feature on this Anchor app, as well as the other sites that I have. Send me an Amazon gift card or refer 10 friends that you know that will benefit from my service. Remember, Every contribution, big or small, will ensure that I am able to produce content in the years to come. One day soon, this crazy era of social distancing and hunkering down at home will be behind us. And I'll be back working out at the gym at 6.30 a.m. and camming my regular 10 to 11 a.m. shift. And I know all of you are having fantasies about getting immersed in some of the -the out-of-the-house activities once again. But for now... Every one of us needs alternative ways to escape, and I aim to be that escape. So long, and remember, be good or be good at it. Until next time, bye.